Good to see you all here this morning. Um, we're in John. Or we're going to be preaching to you in the book of John from verse and chapter 20, John 20, and verse 30 and 31. This, like we mentioned before, now that we're on tape, uh, is Easter Sunday, and the Lord has definitely made us a very beautiful day in this part of the country. And our hope and prayer is, is that on this day, hearts will be looking to the Lord Jesus Christ thinking about the resurrection, something that never happened before until the time of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then because of him being resurrected, it's promised to us. That's the hope of the resurrection, is that we'll be resurrected. And we talked about that for hours yesterday, Jerry and I. And uh, there's still... You know, nobody has the whole picture perfectly right. And some great writers that we would look up and they would have a part of it right and a part of it wrong. And uh, the perfect resurrection was the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the perfect resurrection. He was raised in the same body that he was buried with. It never saw corruption. It couldn't because there was no sin. You see, if your body and my body had no sin, it'd never get sick and it would never die. It would never corrupt. But that wasn't the body of our Lord Jesus Christ. His never did. When it speaks of the resurrection of the saints, you know, saints, they can be burned at the stake, they can be eaten by animals or swallowed at sea by fishes or eaten up or something, you know, that there's nothing left, and yet it's called a resurrection. So the Lord has to create, and that's what he is, is the creator. This resurrection is going to be a creation of a body of yours, either from material that could be there or that isn't there, but he's going to recreate a likeness of your body into an immortal, incorruptible body that will live forever. <clears throat> and that's the story of the resurrection. But our verse today in John 20, verse 30 and 31, it says, And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, now, there are some religions that thrive on all the things that are not in this book. Imaginary, things that come down by tradition. Uh, you would be surprised that the tons of literature, even on things that are not written in this book that our Lord's supposed to have done. But verse 31 gives you a wonderful insight into what is written but these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ 
the Son of God, and that believing you might have life, meaning eternal life, through his name. So what is written is sufficient for you to have eternal life. Now, last week we had this verse and we said, well, what are some of these things that John has written that would be for our benefit, that we might have eternal life? And we started back at John 1 and went through John 1, and we worked all the way up to John 6. So turn over to John 6 and look at verse 63. Now, we went from John 1 up to John 6, 63, and this is where we ended. And what we're doing, we're just picking out a verse here and a verse there to see what things John had written that was for our benefit that we might have eternal life. Because there's so many things in John that are not in the other three Gospels. Now, John 6.63 starts out by saying, It's the Spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. Now, the very words of our Lord Jesus Christ are so important. The words, not the, he doesn't say the whole word, but the words, every bit of them, every single one of them. And that's why when our translators want to take and change this edition of the Bible and come out with another one with words easier, the Lord says, the words that I speak unto you, not that somebody else might think is easier or more appropriate, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. And so, use your Bible. Not some new version, not an NIT or an American version or English Standard Version. Use your King James Bible. It's the original for English-speaking people. And God knew that at the end of the age, English would be spoken all over the world. Everybody speaks English. So everybody ought to be able to read English. And the Lord knew that but there doesn't have to have one thing changed in this book. Not one thing. Not the these or the thou. They don't, you don't stumble over that. In fact, that's the language of prayer. All right, let's go on a little bit further to the next two verses. 64 and 65. But there are some of you that believe not. Now, John adds to that. See, that's what the words that Christ said. Then he says, For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not, and who should betray him. And he said, Therefore said I unto you that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my Father. You know what this is? This is reverse English on election. You see, people don't like the doctrine of election taught in God's word that God knows everybody that he died for. It's described to you in John 17 as everyone that the Father gave to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a separate people. It's a peculiar people. And we have what we call 
fundamentalist groups call themselves sovereign grace preachers and they will hold up to the sovereignty of God to one point though. there's one point that they want to exclude that God does not know whom he died for now if there's one important thing in all of time and all of God's dealings it has to do with the death of the Son of God he spared not his son and for him to do it for unknowns and not to know who he died for is ridiculous he's called our advocate that's like a lawyer does a lawyer take a case when he doesn't know anything at all about the client doesn't know anything why when a lawyer gets through with you he knows you better than you do and the Lord Jesus Christ has known everyone he was going to die for long before the world was even created you see this Bible tells you things that are so beyond your comprehension and reasoning that's why it's got to be believed by faith now I said he knew you before the world was made. We'll look at 2 Timothy 1 9. 2 Timothy 1 9. And Paul just slides through this one just as gracefully and easily because this is the way people believe and know the economy of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works but according to his own purpose and grace which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. What did you have to do with it? Nothing. Nothing at all. And in time, God acquainted you with the gospel, put a desire in your heart to know Christ, and that's how you came to being or having anything to do with salvation. But it was purposed by God's good purpose and grace before the world began. Okay. So our verse here in John 6.64, I said is reverse English on election. Now he not only knows who he died for, he knows all the rest. There's a big group and a little group. There's a few and there's a many. He certainly knows the few, we just got through showing you that. Now they're telling us that he knew those that would believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not. You know why? Because he's the creator. Did you ever make anything? When you make something that's really different, you're proud of it. Boy, you know all about it. You made it. Listen, he made everything. He is the creator. He knows everybody. Not only that, he knows their thoughts are far off. He knows every wicked deed, every word that folks speak. See, we're talking about a great God, a wonderful God, beyond your comprehension and imagination. The best that you can do is come up with words from a book to describe this God. And the description of him is just awesome. He even knows the number of hairs on your head. 
He knows every star out there. He calls them by name. He knows the number of the stars. Nobody else does that. So he knows those that do not believe. Now, what does that mean? That means he just lets them alone. That's interesting, huh? All God has to do for any individual to go to hell is to let them alone. Don't interfere into their life. And for those that God's going to save, he interferes into their life. The Holy Spirit will take part of God's word, take it home to their heart, and reprove them of sin, righteousness, and judgment. That's God's work. He knows everybody. And so when we come to verse 65, the Lord previously had said that no man can come to me except the Father draw him. That was in verse 44. Now he reiterates that statement and says, Therefore I said unto you, that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my Father. We have all of mankind lumped together coming from Adam. All sin. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. What happens to those that come to Christ? Well, he draws them. Draws them out from the sea of humanity and gives them a desire for Christ and eternal life. That's what he says. But it has to be that way. It does not originate in your heart or in my heart. Okay. Uh, let's look at John 2, 24 and 25. Just back up a few pages in John. Because here's another scripture that said Christ knew all men. Let's read verse 23 also along with it. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, in the feast day, many believed in his name. Well, that's supposedly in this day and time sufficient for salvation. Many believed in his name when they saw the miracles which he did, but Jesus did not commit himself unto them because he knew all men. There was ulterior motives. He knew all men. Hey, that's a great sentence there, statement. He knew all men because he's the creator. He's the God-man. But notice in verse 24 that Salvation is the Lord Jesus Christ committing himself to the sinner. Your modern religion of today, all your big Baptists and Methodists and Presbyterian Episcopalian churches, if they even talk about salvation, say, commit yourself unto the Lord Jesus Christ. Make a new commitment. Rededicate yourself. What's that do? Nothing. Nothing at all. If Jesus does not commit himself to you, you're not saved. That's simple as that. All right, let's look at John 6, 70. Again, election. You can't get away from election in the Bible. Jesus answered them, Have not I chosen you twelve? And one of you is a devil. That's interesting. One out of twelve. Why did he choose Judas 
if he knew all men, if he knew all about him. Well, that's interesting because the scriptures had to be fulfilled. Now, that's John 17. It explains it to you very clearly. John 17 and verse 12. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name, those that thou gavest me. I have kept, and none of them is lost, but he did give him a devil. But the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. And there were scriptures that said that his own familiar friend was going to betray him. So that's something that John wanted you to know, that the Lord chose twelve and one's a devil. He spoke of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simeon, for it was he that should betray him, being one of the twelve. He was selected for a specific job the same way Pharaoh was chosen, and his heart hardened to bring glory to God. Next chapter, John 7, 7. We'll progress and see something here now that John wanted you to know for your benefit. He says, The world cannot hate you, but it hateth me, because I testify of it that the works thereof are evil. You see, every system in the world hates not only Christ, but they hate his word. But you see, he explains to you why the hatred of the world is there, because he testifies. But what, what about the world? You see, the world is not geared toward holiness. The world is not geared toward anything to do spiritually in any of their systems. Whether it's education, whether it's political, whether it's religious, then the religious systems are the most damning to people because they are taught falsely. He says, I testify that the works thereof, anything in this world is evil. Your, your greatest blessings to you physically are generally hindrances to your spiritual life. I was talking to Jerry yesterday about people that have talent. Now, anybody that has a, a great talent, they never come to Christ. They don't need him. Their talent is their God. We're looking at professional baseball, football, basketball players. Some of them, you know, you see on TV with a profession of faith. But their talent, the talent that these people have, keep them from ever asking for mercy. We have people who have talent in music. You see it all over your TV. Great singers, great soloists, they just make their millions of dollars in their concerts and never call upon God. So that talent is a curse to them. And anything in the world that you set your heart and affection upon is going to be a curse to you. 
And that's what the Bible is all about. He says, I testify about the works of the world. Love not the world, neither the things in the world. For the love of the world is not the love of the Father. Now, I also said they not only hate Christ, but his word. And if you turn back to John 17, I'm going to show you why. It's John 17, 14. And John 17, 14 says, I have given them thy word. Now, that's a very simple thing. You know, I've passed out this Bible to you. And uh, the world hath hated them. Because of the word, that's right. Well, it's not because you own the word. It's not because you put it in your bedroom and hide it. It's because you read it and fashion your life after God's word. You're not ashamed of it. That's when the world's going to hate you. But you can have this book. You can have one in your car. You can have one in the living room, one in the bedroom, one in the bathroom. As long as you don't read it and don't abide by it nobody's going to give you pay you any attention or hate you the world's going to love you if you're going to be just like them but his people that have his word the world's going to hate them because they're different they're following the lord jesus christ and his instructions for life and therefore the world's going to hate you it's just normal All right, now let's look at John 7.37. We're going to progress a little bit, see some of the things that John wants us to know. And in verse 37, it says, In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, If any man thirst, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. Can you see the picture? An individual like you and me, a human being, standing in front of a large crowd in a religious temple and saying, if any man thirst, let him come unto me. Oh. You see, like I told you in the Bible class, you could have lived when the Lord Jesus Christ lived, and you could have seen him. You could have shook hands with him. You could have sat there in the temple and listened to him. But you would not have believed anything he said pertaining to him being God. Because your natural affections, your natural senses are totally against such a thing as a human being being God. That's why they didn't believe. The only persons that ever believed in him had to have that revealed to their heart by God's Holy Spirit the same as it's done today. You have a greater advantage than people who saw the Lord Jesus Christ because you have the completed word of God. You've got the whole story. You've got no excuse. And then he said, He that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Well, that's a very important scripture. 
They didn't understand it. And you and I would maybe not even understand it if John didn't explain it to us in the next verse. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. Oh, that makes a difference now, you see. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given. When was the Holy Ghost given? At Pentecost. See, after the Lord's resurrection. That's why the, the Lord's disciples themselves couldn't understand, couldn't believe half the time. He told them about his death, burial, and resurrection so many times, and they never, never did comprehend it, didn't, didn't go through. But when the Holy Spirit indwelled them, then they understood those spiritual things, okay? Let's progress a little bit now to, uh, well, one more scripture, though. See, he said, if any man thirst. Now, he's quoting himself back in Isaiah. Look at Isaiah 55, 1. Isaiah 55, 1, this ought to have rung a bell with the religious leaders that were listening to him. He says, Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters, and he that hath no money, come ye buy and eat. Yea, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. I wonder if it rang a bell with anybody when he says, If any man thirst, let him come unto me. This is the one saying the same thing back here in Isaiah. All right, now we go to John 7, 38 and 39. We've had that one already. Okay, John 7, 43. John 7, 43. He gets, he's saying that if any man thirst, come unto me. And we come down to 43, and it says, And there was a division among the people because of him. I want to tell you, there's always a division wherever the Lord Jesus Christ is present. In your life, in my life, in anybody's life, there will be divisions. Now I'm going to show it to you out of his own mouth. John, uh, Matthew 10, verse 34. Matthew 10, verse 34. He says, think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. You know, that particular bit of information is totally missing from the average religious person's mind today and religious preacher today. He says, I come not to bring peace, but a sword. I'm come to set a man at variance against his father and the daughter against her mother and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foes shall be they of his own household. Is that division? Yeah, hey, that's division, all right. And he that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me, and he that findeth his life shall lose it. How? Dead to the world. Forget this thing in the world. Forget your friends. Forget your family. Come to the Lord Jesus Christ for eternal life, 
And he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. It don't mean your corporal body, you're going to have to go out there and get crucified or stabbed or shot. It means the affections of your life switch to the Lord Jesus Christ, and then you have eternal life. So we find he caused divisions. Now look at John 7.50. An interesting bit of information that only John wanted you to know. Nicodemus saith unto them, He that came to Jesus by night, being one of them. You see, Nicodemus finally was saved. The Lord saved this old boy. He's a Pharisee. We find him in John 3, very ignorant of anything spiritual. But he came to the Lord Jesus Christ by night, kind of ashamed, didn't want to be seen, slipping under cover of darkness. And so that handle's going to stay with him. That handle stays with him the rest of the time. When anybody thinks of Nicodemus, they think of nighttime. That's interesting, huh? When anybody hears the name of Rahab, they think of the harlot. They go together. That stigma's going to hang in there with her forever. But she's a saved harlot. Who cares then what you are? Who cares if Nicodemus came by night as long as he got to Christ? That's the great thing. John just wanted to mention it to you. Nicodemus stood up for the Lord Jesus Christ when the others wanted to kill him. He says, Doth our Lord judge any man before it hear him? And know what he doeth? And then they all jump on him. Well, who are you? Are you out of Galilee also? Search and look, for out of Galilee ariseth no prophet. Well, John wanted you to know that. Now go to the 8th chapter of John and look at verse 12. Eighth chapter of John, verse 12, Then spake Jesus unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. And he that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Very interesting bit of information there. For an individual, a human being, to say that they are the light of the world. Now, why would his light be any different than any other light? Well, because he said they wouldn't walk in darkness anymore. Well, what darkness are you talking about? Nighttime? No, no, no. You see, this is a spiritual book. Turn to John 3.19. John 3.19. Let the scriptures teach you. Show you what's in here. This is his conversation with Nicodemus, too. He says, And this is the condemnation that light is come into the world, and this was the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, God's Son. And men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Men love sin, okay? Where are your gayest, most happy, wonderful moments on TV. They're always in a bar room. It's the wonderful, good-looking young people with their light beer. 
They always are. It's the happiest bunch of people you ever did see. It's not like that in a normal bar room. You go into any bar room, you see the most downcast, belligerent, obstinate, stupid-looking people you ever did see. But not on TV. Hey, he wants you to drink beer. So look at these handsome people. But you know what? They love darkness. That light that you see, that great happiness, is darkness. And the Lord says in our scripture in John 8 that if you follow me, the light of the world, you won't walk in darkness. And that's why I tell our people they're not supposed to be in places like that. Not supposed to be there. That's darkness. The happiest, gayest moments in life are darkness, according to our Lord Jesus Christ. And you follow him and you shall have light. In fact, it says it's the light of life. What kind of life? Eternal life. People, as long as they're living in God's breath, are not concerned about eternal life. And it's the most important thing for every individual to be concerned about. Because you are the one involved. All those teachers at that school that I've been at, they're involved in eternal life, and there's not a one of them can stand up and tell you one thing about eternal life. Because they've never learned it, they never care to learn it, and they think it's foolishness. Eternal life is the most wonderful gift from God himself. And that's the reason you're here, is to learn about eternal life and to gain it by seeing that you can't earn it, you can't work it up. You're forced to look to a substitute who can give it to you. And then you find out that that substitute loved you from eternity and didn't have to die but did, didn't have to suffer but did didn't have to keep the law perfectly for 33 can you think of that you can't keep it perfectly for an hour and he kept it perfectly so that he could give you eternal life but you see there's a little bit more to it than that he had to die for you to pay for your sin now the two things are accomplished he's capable of giving you eternal life because he earned it and he paid for your sin so why doesn't everybody come to him well I'll tell you what the world just is not interested in their own soul nobody unless God the Holy Spirit gives you that desire and touches your heart and draws you to Christ that's the teachings of the scripture that's the teachings that I know of from experience I know how God drew this old sinner to him. I know how he made me very, very willing to part with everything I have, leave my family, all the friends in high school, in several high schools in several parts of round Buffalo, New York, leave everything and come down to sit under a ministry as a lost sinner 
and want the Lord Jesus Christ to save me. Of course, I didn't know. I didn't know it was going to be quite a long, drawn-out process because I thought it was going to be that easy. If I did those things, if I made myself very, very willing, that certainly the Lord is going to save me right away. And I had in mind that maybe I would then go back to school and study to be a minister. That didn't work. Then the Lord began to show me what kind of a sinner I was. And 16 years later is when he saved me. After I had given everything up. Dedicated my life and paupered my life when me and Miss Connie got married. I had to borrow $300 from my mother to even get a few shreds of clothes on my back and have something to start out wedding. But nothing you do earns or merits salvation. It's when you really become earnest and you cry from your heart to the Lord for mercy. Lord, be merciful to me, the sinner. If you're not going to save me, might as well send me on to hell because I'm just going to get in somebody's way. And the Lord speaks to your heart, I died for you. That, <laughs> you can't explain that. Nobody's going to believe that the great creator, the God of all creation in the universe, is going to speak to your little, simple, individual, sinful human heart. He does. I want to tell you that. God works with individuals. Not churches, not in groups. He works with individuals that hear the gospel and who the Spirit takes that gospel home to their heart. That's why we don't try to get people to join the church. Don't even try to make them feel that friendly. And we want people to come. We want them to hear. But they're not coming here because we're the nicest people in the world. But we want to preach the gospel to them and be true to their souls. It's a one-on-one -on -one proposition and it has nothing to do with coming to church or reading the Bible all day long. It's you as a lost sinner coming to the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? You got that part? Well, let's look at John 8.23 and 8.24. In this two verses, we're going to find the great I am. Who's the I am? You remember when Moses wanted, was trying to beg out of going down and representing God to the children of Israel? And he says, who am I going to say sent me? The Lord says, tell him, I am sent you. All right. Now look at these two verses, how many times the Lord Jesus Christ says, I am. He says, and he said unto them, ye are from beneath, I am from above. Ye are of this world, I am not of this world. I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins, for if ye believe not that I am, he italics so you can read it as a sentence. Ye shall die in your sins. The Lord Jesus Christ is 
the I am of the Old Testament. He is God. And you've got to see that when you're reading in the scriptures. Notice how they, the word italics, T, is in there so many times. That was added by the translators, and God wants it in there for reading. But you see, his name is I am. And there was a time, and I guess we, we read that last week, if it was in John or one of the other books. Okay, turn to John 18. John 18, verse 5. 18, verse 5. They answered him. Oh, and in verse 4, Jesus says, Whom seek ye? And they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus saith unto them, I am. What happened? Well, here's the power of God. Read on. And Judas also, which betrayed him, stood with them. And as soon as he had said unto them, I am, they went backward and fell to the ground. A whole rebellious, bloodthirsty mob of angry men were laying there on their backs. He said, I am. When he told that to Moses, he said, take off your shoes, you're on holy ground. These men were on holy ground in the Garden of Gethsemane and did not know it. That's our great I am. All right, let's have one more before we close. John 8, 28. Then said Jesus unto them, When ye have lifted up the Son of Man... Then shall ye know that I am. Interesting, isn't it? Here it is again. And that I do nothing of myself. Well, how is that? When he's lifted up, well, I want to tell you something. The power of the great I am was shown to men when he was lifted up. When he was lifted up on the cross, our Lord Jesus Christ demonstrated even in his death that he's the great I am. He says, when I'm lifted up, then shall you know that I am. Well, where is that? Turn to Matthew 27. Matthew 27 and verse 51. Matthew 27, 51. Now in verse 50, he dies. He gives up the ghost. It says, And when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. He died. What happened when he died? When he's lifted up. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. And the earth did quake and the rocks rent. The veil Renton Twain. They say that thing was so tough that you couldn't pull it apart if you had a team of oxen on each side hauling it. And a great earthquake and rocks were broken. And then there's something else. The next verse. And the graves were opened and many bodies of the saints which slept arose. 
Interesting. Who can do that? Just the I am. When I'm lifted up, all men shall know that I am. At his death, it was majesty in misery. Our Lord Jesus Christ showed that he was the almighty God even when he died. Well, we're going to run out of time. I'm not going to go any further with things that John wanted us to know in his book, but we'll continue on next week. And any of you here that want the beginning of this message, I've got the tapes for you in the back. You can take it and play it as you're on your way anywhere. Uh, things that John had written. He said, these things are written that you might know that Christ is the Son of God and believing in him that you might have eternal life. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank thee for this morning hour and ask thy blessing upon these simple, uh, simple words about thy wonderful written word. And as much as we've said about it, it's still hardly scratches the surface of spiritual truth. Lord, make these things real to our heart. And again, we ask for protection on the highway. We pray in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Okay, you're all dismissed.